0: Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by learningsuccesssystem.com. Now, let me tell you about our host, Emily Sur. Emily is an educator and childcare professional with international teaching experience. She has taught English as a second language, tutored the fine arts, and various other positions with kids all over the globe, including Spain, South Korea, and most recently, Australia. She received a Bachelor of Arts in English and Sociology in 2012 and has done extensive academic research which has been published on multiple occasions. In addition to all of these things, Emily has dyslexia and ADHD and therefore has a greater understanding of the need for an open forum on these subjects and the impact they have on today's educational atmosphere. So, without further ado, welcome to this edition of the Learning Success Podcast with Emily Sir. And here's Emily!
1: Lately, there has been some big news in the world of education. Namely, the end of the No Child Left Behind Act, signed into law during the Bush administration. According to Fernet Eide of Dyslexic Advantage in her article entitled, End of No Child Left Behind, the very unpopular piece of educational legislation is now being supplanted by the recent Every Student Succeeds Act. What was No Child Left Behind? Basically, it increased regulation of standardized testing by the federal government. That left very little room for accommodation and change at any level as it takes years to get anything through Congress and to the President's desk, and even then, it may not make it through. Every Student Succeeds, signed into law in December of 2015, did not undo standardized testing, but rather deregulated it back to the power of the states. How does this help children with learning disabilities? On the surface, it doesn't. However, it presents an opportunity. An opportunity for improvement. Whenever education legislation is handled at the state and not the federal level, things that do not work are more quickly able to be overridden, because legislation does not have to go through the House and the Senate and onto the President. When something is found to work well, it is possible for it to be implemented much more quickly and efficiently statewide than were it at the federal level, where it would have to make it, again, through the House, the Senate, and across the desk of the President before it could ever be considered in schools. With this newfound power over standardized testing, it is possible that state legislations may be persuaded to implement new rules that make standardized testing perhaps not good, but much less divisive in terms of children with learning disabilities and students in general. In a recent article on learning success, Why You Should Advocate for Your Dyslexic Child, Dr. Douglas Curtis and Lucy Curtis discussed their early experience with dyslexia and how it presented in their son. A common reaction, much like the Curtises', is denial. Denial that there is anything wrong with this perfect child that's been growing up in front of them. Partially, this is due to the stigmatization discussed in the last podcast. I won't go into overly much detail, but the basic idea is that having a learning disability is the source of a lot of bullying, both from students and teachers alike. This can cause a great amount of emotional stress and damage on a child's self-esteem, and clearly nobody wants that for their child. They'd rather hold on to this idea that their child isn't going to have to have special help and be made fun of during school. However, another reason for the denial is a much less sinister one, and a lot simpler. Dyslexic children have been shown to be extremely smart. They are quick and clever, so they find ways of masking their disorder. They don't do it intentionally, it just sort of happens. As the is discussed, one way this manifests is when a child is answering a question in class. They may not be able to read an entire passage, but by reading words here and there and listening acutely to the clues within the question, and also class discussion, they can normally come up with the correct answer, and very quickly. In this type of situation, nobody would suspect the child had any problems reading. This ties into another topic of the podcast, which is newly developed fonts that are better for dyslexic children, but I'll go more into that later. As a dyslexic myself, I can attest to the problems of late diagnosis. I didn't start modifying the way I was learning until I was almost in high school. This is actually a very common age for diagnosis of children who've had dyslexia their entire lives. As mentioned in the video within the article, I had a way of simply getting by and didn't realize that I could have been progressing much faster until I understood the problem. Once I began accommodating my handicap, I began to advance much faster. This brings me to my next point about dyslexia. In a November 2015 article by Judy Hanning, entitled, Kids with Dyslexia Have Trouble with Directions, it was pointed out that dyslexic children don't simply have a hard time reading. That is merely one symptom. The truth is that their brains process information quite differently from the rest of us. They are not stupid and they fully comprehend the world surrounding them. They just simply process it differently. Much like with children of other learning disorders, dyslexic children tend to be very literal. The example that Miss Henning gave in her article was a little boy instructed to draw a self-portrait. Instead of drawing himself, the little boy drew his friend who was sitting beside him. Upon questioning from the teacher, he explained. You told us to draw what we can see. Now, you may think he wasn't listening, but hold off just a second. Maybe it wasn't that he wasn't listening or paying attention, but that he took the meaning literally. Think of it this way. Self, portrait. He must have thought, self, okay, that's me. Portrait. What do you do when you draw a portrait? You draw someone else. So." Literally, he took it as, I, myself, draw a portrait of what I can see. He could see his friend. And so, what is seemingly a simple instruction is just as simply and innocently turned into something completely different. The best way to avoid situations like this is specificity. You can still use the term self-portrait. Obviously, this needs to be something that the child needs in their vocabulary. However, explaining the concept behind a self-portrait in advance or saying something like, draw a picture of yourself, would be immensely helpful, especially in early learners. Clearly, we can't account and prepare for every eventuality. Further advice, in situations such as these, would be not to chasten the child immediately, but to ask them why they didn't follow directions. If they weren't paying attention, fine. That happens. However, if they have a reasonable, if not immediately obvious, reason for deviating, then perhaps just kindly explain the instructions again and thank them for their creative interpretation. If they're putting forth effort, there's no need to embarrass them. They probably get enough of that already. One thing that is particularly embarrassing for dyslexic children is difficulty learning to read or write. In the article, How to Teach a Dyslexic Child to Write, Learning success author Hannah Roberts points out that, typically, dyslexic children are expert orators. Their skill set lies in audio rather than visual skills. This means that even though they may be quite articulate speakers, their writing and reading skills may be somewhat lacking. Luckily, there are ways to accommodate for this. Ms. Roberts advocates very small steps, focusing on one thing at a time. Instead of giving a lesson on a wide variety of rules and concepts, simply teaching one of them day by day. For instance, dyslexic children tend to be quite disorganized in their writing styles, and maybe list events out of order. Your first reaction may be to throw all these grammar rules at them. Well, you have to format the essay like this, and you have to do punctuation, and everything all at once. Ms. Roberts suggests that only focusing on one subject at a time, such as the organization of their essay, that would be extremely helpful for the dyslexic child, as it is difficult for them to focus on and retain multiple concepts at once. Once they've mastered the one skill, you can move on to the next, and so forth and so on. Ms. Roberts also lists a few apps that are quite beneficial to teaching writing to a dyslexic student. If you'd like to check that out, they are listed on her article. How to Teach a Dyslexic Child to Write, on the Learning Success website. Speaking of technology and dyslexia, I'll get back to the point I mentioned earlier. New fonts for dyslexic children. Kara Skarda, a Learning Success contributor, wrote an article highlighting a few new and some older fonts made with dyslexia in mind. The article, titled, Again Technology Wins with Fonts for Kids with Dyslexia, mentions three different fonts. Dyslexia, an older font, open dyslexic, a new open source font, and Lexia Readable. All of these fonts are worth a look. Obviously there is no one size fits all solution or even alleviation of dyslexia. What works for one student may hinder another. However, according to Rebecca Brink, as mentioned in the article, dyslexia may have the common edge in being the most effective and easily readable for those with dyslexia. However, as mentioned before, there is no one cure-all font for dyslexia, so I'd encourage you, if you have a dyslexic child, or if you yourself have difficulty reading, to check them out. The main draw of these fonts is that they create easily identifiable differences between letters that you can easily mistake for each other, such as B and D or J and I. Ms. Garda also contributed an article entitled How a Learning Disability Can Become a Success Story. This article emphasized the need for a single attribute as a key for success for any child, including children with learning disabilities. Other names for this attribute are persistence and determination. She states in the article that, while frustrating, learning disorders are not the cause of failure in students. The root of the failure is the internalization that their learning disorder is the end of learning, and that it is pointless to even try. This mindset is what success or failure hinge upon. If you can show your child early on that they are worth the effort, even their own effort, then they will learn to persevere through the challenges that their disorder presents to them. If they truly believe that they can do it if they simply find the right path, then they will. It's really that simple. It's certainly not easy. Thankfully, if your student has your help and support, you can both get through it. Thank you for
0: listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.